0: We're going to dance. We're going to dance. We're going to dance. And have some
1: fun. Hi, I'm Siobhan Fletcher, and welcome back to a brief history of pride. Last time we went back to the early 90s, but this time we're jumping forward a few decades to hear about what went into organising the first public pride held here at home.
2: When we're done, of I I, I know.
1: But first, let's set the scene. In 1992, like we heard about in the last episode, Tim will decriminalise homosexuality but the age of consent was set at 21, as was the case for many years over in the UK. In 2001, this was lowered to 18, and in 2006, it was lowered again to 16, as is the case for heterosexuals. In 2016, same-sex marriage was legalised here, and in 2020, then-Chief Minister Howard Quayle issued an unqualified public apology to gay men convicted of same-sex offences under those previous Manx laws.
3: Today as Chief Minister, I stand before you, before this house and before the people of our island to apologise for those laws. For the damage they may have caused and for the lives they ruined. I am sorry for that wrong.
1: It was described as a great day for the Isle of Man by campaigner Alan Shea. Two years later, the Sexual Offences and Obscene Publications Act came into effect, which pardoned historical gay sex offences committed prior to 1992. And the then Chief Constable Gary Roberts also apologised. We'll look more closely at this next week. Like we touched on at the beginning of this series, the LGBTQ community has always made safe spaces for its members to be free. And the Isle of Man is no different. Before the pageantry of the two Isle of Pride events, there were other private prides marked out of the public eye. They were held primarily in back gardens and houses around the island and were exclusive to the community they served.
4: Alan Shay, Alan man. It was done by invitation only, but the man that organised them did really well because it was. It's a bit dangerous having having
3: a pride in those days in on the island. I am singer and actress Vida Lafierce. The idea of a private one is, is is beautiful. It's lovely. It's it's getting together in a safe place, and that's you know beautiful as the the getting together thing. But you want one that's that's public because like i said the uh the act of the party is a statement in itself, and it is a protest in itself, so it's like here we are having a fantastic time. everybody is welcome, just don't bring trouble like but everybody is welcome. come along, have fun and uh that's that's where the the big the bigger more public ones really come into their own because even if you've got some bigoted people who are like, a Pride, right, um, who don't want to come, no one's forcing you to come. You know, if you want to miss out on some good fun and some really good entertainment, then fine, that's on you. But it's the fact that it's visible and it's having that visibility, which is a sign in itself. Um, that that is an act of protest, having that visibility. Mm. And it's also like Hey, here we are. We are completely normal. We just want to, have, you know, have a nice day out, listen to some good music, have some nice food, maybe have a few drinks. We are just like you. But, you know, there's some bright colours and a lot of fun. And that is a statement in itself. So even people from outside who don't want to come can see that we are just normal people, uh, just having some fun. There's always the predictable thing that you see on social media of, oh, when straight pride, it's like, well, the other 364 days of the year but also be thankful you've never needed one. Anyone who can't see a reason for pride is ironically the reason for it.
2: In
1: 2020, the island saw its first youth pride event attended by more than 200 young people. And in 2021, the Isle of Man held its first public Pride event at the Villa Marina Gardens in Douglas.
4: It's one o'clock. Time for news with Tessa Hawley. Faster, my Tessa. Faster, my. The organisers of the Isle of Man's first Pride Festival say they've had tremendous support from the Manx community. The event is taking place in the Villa Marina Gardens today. It's been organised by the charity Isle of Pride and was originally due to take place last year but had to be postponed due to Covid-19.
1: The island's original singing drag queen, Vida Lafayes, was one of the members of the Isle of Pride committee which organised the celebration. Can you just tell me a bit about what went into sort of the original idea and how we got to that first public The original
3: idea, I think, was um, I think it was Claire and I having a coffee, like at the very beginning, like probably getting on for like three years ago, uh, maybe more. And um, there'd obviously been a desire from certainly from both of us to see it happen. And then sort of like a team kind of came together as if by magic. And it was such a good team as well. It, it was just such a joy to work with these people who you could see every meeting, how passionate they all were about making it happen and making it happen correctly as well. There was no cut and corners, there was every level of planning and like all sorts of contingency stuff, and the detail that went into it. And I felt privileged to be a part of a group like that because there was that passion and the the kindness and the this amazing drive to make it happen. And uh, the people who were really, 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 you know, in on the committee really worked so, so, so hard that it was a delight to be part of.
1: The Isle of Pride charity consisted of a wide-ranging mix of people from different professional and personal backgrounds. They included government ministers Claire Barber and Jane Paul Wilson.
2: They were both amazing events, but there's no question that putting an event like that on is a huge undertaking. And so those complementary skills are really valuable. So, you know, we had people who had sort of marketing and PR that comms type uh, skills because that's that was really important. But also there's a huge amount of fundraising and financial management that has to go on. So, again, people who are able to write sponsorship materials, engage with potential sponsors and manage our finances as well. And then organisationally, I mean, we we took the view in the end that to make sure we ran a a really good event, we would actually engage with companies that that are used to putting on events and that have that specialisms around risk management and and how to do large scale events. So we did do that. But there was, um, again, just a lot of logistics, liaising, I mean, even down to things like applying for a licence to run the event. So... Yes, it required a lot of people doing a lot of different things. But there's no question that everybody's different skills that they could bring makes a difference. And we definitely found that the more people doing more things could help us achieve more. But yeah, a huge undertaking on the day. Fabulous. In the run up (laughs) to the day, you've seen swans swimming along and paddling frantically.
4: I think we were just... We were flapping and splashing <laughs> frantically we, we, we to get it over were. the line. Yeah. And even even afterwards, of course, because, you know, you've, you, you've got the absolute adrenaline rush. It, it's worked. And there's that moment, certainly in the first year, it was really quite profound. Just being able to stand in the Villa Marina Gardens and just see all of the people who were there mm-hmm. and what it meant to so many people and know that, you know, we'd, we'd succeeded And then you're exhausted, you know, you hit that wall, midnight, it finishes, you go home, but you know, you've got to be back at 10am the next morning to help the clear down, the strip down, sorting out the lost property, doing the stock takes on the merchandise and getting everything stored away, helping collapse down gazebos and so on. So it's not, it's not a case of, you know, we we did use event management and they provided a huge amount of that really fundamental resource for us that we just wouldn't have been able to cope without. But um, there was a huge amount that also required us being there and being available um, and i think social media makes that as well even more <laughs> difficult because you're constantly getting messages before the event certainly um and some afterwards and you're trying to manage that and just keep keep a rick on all of that so you we needed people with time as well and that's uh mm-hmm. certainly you know it's a big ask of people we know how much people give to charity in time in, in money even actually on the Isle of Man, people are incredibly generous mm-hmm. um but it's making sure we're using that that time and and commitment that they offer and making sure we're making that work well for them and for us.
1: Another member of the Isle of Pride committee was Zoe Bennett who originally got into contact with Claire Barber over a constituency issue and ended up becoming a key player in organising the historic event.
0: I very much took a a broad approach to it Um, you know we did did have a a number of people on the committee who who really did sort of push you know and, and, and were instrumental in getting it together but I was kind of the one who, you know, had the spreadsheets and made sure we did this, that, and the other. And it was a case, Hey, we've got to make sure we've got it registered in charity, we've got to make sure that the bank accounts, we've got to get an accountant, we've got to get a lawyer, we've got to make sure that we've got insurances in place. Um, you know, that's before we even thought about putting a show on, you know, and putting acts on. You know we we had to make sure that we had the legal and the financial backing first. Once we were sort of like once we decided how, how we were going to play this and, 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 and what Isle of Pride was going to be, and it wasn't just about being the day out, it was also about, you know, creating safe spaces for people to be able to meet or to, to just hang out and, and be themselves. Once we kind of got a, a bit of a mission statement I hate that phrase, but a mission statement to get it were, we were like, right, okay, what do we need?" And then it was a case of connecting with, with prides across the UK and Ireland and further afield. About you know how do we how do we go about this? what advice can you give us? So I had I had my finger in all the pies, as it were, in terms of legal, financial, and then you know entertainment, venues, <laughs> who who contact I had a spreadsheets spreadsheets upon spreadsheets going. So yeah, it was a lot to juggle. So when you
1: then see that it is a success and and you know thousands of people have turned out and it's been received really positively what was your feeling on the day i actually wasn't
0: there because i'd left the island by then so i had to watch from afar it was it was fantastic but then the the year after myself and my partner and my family we we attended we joined the march uh, along the promenade and and into the villa and just coming in and seeing all the people and everything it was it was quite emotional and i did, i did get a little bit a little bit choked up i'm not going to lie it was it was pretty it was a pretty cool thing to see
1: Now, if you attended the first Manx Public Pride, I'm sure you'll remember some of the imagery from that day. It was a gorgeous sunny day here on the rock and there was pure joy in the air. Compered by performer Jack Divers and Manx Radio's own Christy Dehaven, those who headed down to the villa were treated to enlightening conversations, poetry and performances by the island's drag acts, the Pride Choir and Twisted Angels, amongst others. But first, a march headed down Strand Street featuring placards with key moments in Manx history and a huge 50-metre-long rainbow flag. The villa even got a facelift for the occasion. What went into the ideas, I guess, on, the, on that very first one? I think there was a, a big focus on, on the history of the Isleman. I mean, we had that amazing big rainbow flag that went down Strand Street and you had, everyone had placards and it was a lot of, you know, this is the history. What went into coming up with those sorts of ideas?
2: Well, I think well, Claire will talk about her visit to Guernsey Pride. So we were, and, and the challenge of not only getting the massive flag here from the Channel Islands, but also getting it back again. So, um, so, yeah, I think there was inspiration, I guess, from many quarters. Obviously, Pride as a known event, we could draw on that. But I think you're right that particularly for the Isle of Man and the Isle of Man's context, I think. It was important to say this is the story and this is how we've we've got to today, and that was something very very unique for the Isle of Man that I think was important to to recognise uh, on that first pride. I think the other thing that, because as Claire's touched on, we knew we wanted it to be. A community event free and open to everybody and we wanted to provide an experience that anybody and everybody could enjoy mm. so I think then in terms of thinking about what what would be available during Pride um, you know, things like the, the family tent as well as a range of food options and then thinking about the acts and the different types of entertainment that would be on offer throughout the event. We were very focused on being inclusive, being open to all and trying to offer something that people could genuinely come along to and enjoy themselves. And we're so fortunate, aren't we, on the Isle of Man that, as I recall, we dumbed an aahed about bringing a headline act over. And I, I think at the time we were still struggling with issues around travel and so we we didn't do that in the end but we're so fortunate with the talent that's on the Isle of Man mm-hmm. and yeah Christy and Jack Divers hosting the day for mm-hmm. us Um I mean it's a it's it's a bit of a danger spot I think to start to going into naming individuals because we will never manage to name everybody yeah. who contributed and really made a difference to the event but you're right. Our local talent and everybody who pulled together that also helped us make the event. I guess what it was.
4: Yeah, and um, Zoe very early on got us involved as well with the UK Pride Organisers Network, and she went away to their co- annual conference. So she got to you know create links with people from all over the place who were um, putting on other prides, and she linked in as well with Europon, which is the U- European Pride Organisers Network. Mm-hmm which just allowed us to capture some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, get some ideas. It actually, lockdown provided an opportunity because we had a year's delay from when Pride was first going to happen COVID sadly put a stop to the first year but it did allow us some some reflection time so we had everything pretty much ready to go Um, but we we got an extra year that allowed us to go away and then sense check some of that and with the direct flight to Guernsey that was put on we a group of us um, which I was included in went over to Guernsey Pride and saw what they did and one of the things they have is the the huge 50 meter flag which they've had uh, custom made and it's actually got names of people who uh, put money in towards it in the early days and they said while well, we were there, well, if you wanted to borrow it, you could. <laughs> so we were like, wow. You're like, yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the, uh, the the permission to have the flag, the, the actual sending of the flag um, was, was challenging and actually became even more challenging in year two because the there was changes around the customs laws and we end up with quite a significant bill for the import of what I did point out was a second hand flag um, that we were borrowing for two weeks for a charity which should have been exempt but because it had, had the wrong box ticked at the Guernsey end the charity had no choice but to pay <laughs> pay the bill um, to get the flag and then send it back so we made sure they didn't get the same bill at the other end We <laughs> had hours and hours on the phone trying to resolve this problem. Hmm. Um, but having the flag there and seeing the drone footage and photographs I mean I just think it's such a powerful um and symbolic uh, message and you know i certainly hope we see the day where we own one of those flags for ourselves on the isle of man perhaps with the three legs embedded in it just like we have for the flags on the on the promenade Mm -hmm. and i think having the flag
2: in the run-up to pride as well was brilliant because we could tour it Um and so the the footage and the photographs of the flag around landmark buildings and places on mm. the Isle of Man is mm. just it was that's so that's what amazing. I was going to mention
1: the, the shot of it up Timwald Hill it
4: nearly took it off actually <laughs> yeah, it's it very it windy so... that day we did do this one day you don't realise how heavy 50 metres of fabric is Quite thick fabric Mm. until you're stood on Timwood Hill with sort of eight of you trying to pin it down. And we drafted Culture Van in it. I mean, anyone, in fact, I think the people came out of Green's tea rooms because they could see we were having something of a crisis with the flag. Um, We also took it to the grandstand and we we tipped it off the edge of the top of the grandstand to get (laughs) voted. And the thing nearly flew away. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. i trying to think where else we took it. There was a few places we had... Uh... It was up at Nobles. We took it oh, to Nobles. the hospital. That. The it was blowing around. It was really billowing up there. And the um, post office. Yeah. Went to the post office outside yeah. of the post the office key headquarters. headquarters. We We had it wrapped around buildings, running through buildings. It was absolutely brilliant. And it was... You know, it's, it's something so visual that mm-hmm. people can come and get involved in. So sponsors were really you know, thrilled to have it come along. Both years we did that, so yeah, really yeah. exciting.
1: Is it bad that I think if my ship had flown away,
4: I just, <laughs> oh no. The funny thing is when you have it on a monument or like Timwood Hill, mm. it, it feels so long, especially when you're trying to control it. When you see it along the prom, for example, it's relatively small and you think oh we could have twice the size they think no you know rolling it up is just, a bit, just that it will remind itself. you of
1: that when Claire pushes for like a 150
4: metre long one we'll remind you. We'll, we'll play this back that. yeah definitely definitely hold me back I can see why it would be beautiful but it would be wholly impractical we'd be there doing um, paragliding across Douglas Bay
1: obviously the Villa Marina
4: the walls outside the front were painted as a rainbow how did you get it off so we, uh, I'd got the idea, actually, when I went to Guernsey Pride, they'd painted um, just a small set of steps outside the, uh, the grounds that they were using for their event, and it looked fabulous, and it was, you know, it was so Instagrammable, and I thought, wow, like this looks amazing so i'd taken photos of the villa at different angles and i had been there with you know microsoft paint you know filling it in seeing what could work and uh, they'd given me the, the paint that they bought this removable paint and they said it's quite you know, quite easy to get off you just wet it and you know, when you scrub it after a few minutes it just comes off and you hose it down brilliant so we'd spoken to the villa and they'd agreed that we could paint pretty much whatever we wanted actually they were really really open-minded so we thought well we'll do the colonnade columns you know it's sorry not the colonnade the columns at the front of the Mm -hmm. villa, the four striking big columns and then we'll do we had enough paint so we'll do the whole front as well so um, Buchanan and Pitts came along and said that they would paint for us and they're absolutely amazing these guys turned up and they did a time lapse it was absolutely stunning And we got all the paint there and everyone had their pictures taken with it and looked absolutely brilliant. Um, And then we had that thing we talked about, about, you know, going back and having to do the clean down. So we're like, okay, so we need to go and get the paint off. So um, Buchanan and Pitts had said again kindly that they would come along and get the paint off. And we got this frantic phone call. I think they'd spent 12 hours with two people and the paint had not lifted at all so we then had various other people spend time down there i went down myself and we tried this paint just would not shift we tried everything to shift this paint just almost crying think i don't know what we're going to do in the end Buchanan and Pitts actually came (laughs) i have to give a massive shout out because they did all of this for free they came and repainted the columns at the front of the Villa Marina because it was easier than trying to remove the paint and then the paint that was on the ground we had to just soak it scrub it soak it scrub it. and we had loads of people in shifts down there about five days i think it took to get the paint off and there's still little bits of red you can see if you look around the light fittings that shine up the columns, and uh, we did decide. I think we briefly mentioned it to the guys at the villa for the next year, and it was like about the paint. They'll absolutely no no way, no. Never, never, never. But you know what? The villa looks great right now, it's really had that fresh paint on it, it looks fantastic. <laughs> and actually, then uh, in year two, we had the uh, window stickers done instead, and I think that looked really effective as well. Um, and we talked about you could get wraps and stuff for the columns for the future, which maybe would be slightly less paint. Yeah, I mean,
2: and the windows came off. The window,
4: not the actual. Easily, windows, the no, not this. The stickers
2: on the windows came off.
4: I suppose easily. really, uh, Tim Baker's probably looking back with uh, a wry smile because I did try and convince him to paint a pedestrian crossing with this paint, and it had probably still have been there now.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be very fair to Claire, she was told, "Don't worry, it'll just wash off."
4: <laughs> it is funny the stuff that takes time. So between the paint and putting the flags up. Because um, the flags, you have, they gave us a set of keys and there's 20 keys mm-hmm. and you don't know which keys which flag post. So that's the first exciting little... It's, it's a bit like Challenge Annika, gone horribly wrong. And, and there's some no of them are rusty. thought to number the keys. <laughs> no, because no, there's about four keys that mostly work for all... It, it's not quite <laughs> so methodical. Um, and then when you open them, you've got a huge amount of balled up string. I mean, if anyone ever wanted to do that, it's quite entertaining to watch. <laughs> But you have to get the string out, and then you have to lower the flag down. But a lot of the string runs out, and the flag's still halfway up the flagpole. So at one point, my sister was shimmying up these flagpoles trying to change them, while I was holding on to the string for dear life. Because if I let go, the whole thing's gone. I've got no way of retrieving it, or trying to try a bit of fishing line on. <laughs> Slowly, hope we can get it back. The whole thing was an absolute debacle. Um, but again, Buchanan and Pitts came to the rescue with their uh, cherry picker because you can just Clip them off at the top of the flag columns which was a lot easier um and <laughs> the rest as they say is history but uh, yeah certainly some of these little extra jobs which took hours of our time but looked fabulous and develops new skills always <laughs> i'm not sure they're uh, transferable <laughs> or for the cv
1: <laughs> no i think what i'm learning here is we shouldn't put claire in charge of you know decorating maybe
2: <laughs>
4: claire maybe is an person.
2: enthusiast but the work that follows.
4: As they say, think big, it's like the 150 metre flag. Think big, regret later. This is what I'm saying. Who brought the flag
1: over? Let's remember this now, Jane. Who suggested the washable paint? And who's been trying to
2: put flags up flag poles? Yes. We were all keen on the washable paint until it wouldn't wash off. But there we are. You live and learn.
1: You've been listening to the third instalment of a special series exploring the history of Pride, right here on Manx Radio. Next week, we'll be looking at the winding down of Isle of Pride and hear from some of the people who would like to see public pride events held here in the future change. Part of me was reluctant to get involved with something that I didn't
4: feel was quite organised in the way that I should be. I talked to Alan Shea about it. He sort of gave me his blessing, if you like. (laughs) The public pride in the Isle of Man, to me, they weren't really a pride. That was basically shows on a stage of gay LGBTQ people on the stage performing.
1: I'm Siobhan Fletcher, and I'll see you next week. That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel